Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 597 of Longbox Heroes, the Lamborghini of comic book podcasts. It's Joe, it's Todd, and we're here to talk about the comics. Look at you getting right to it, baby. Yeah, baby. Uh, if this episode breaks a half hour... Yeah, it's going to be a short show, Joe. It's going to be a short show, that's right. Uh, but we do have things to discuss, of course. It was a light news week. Um, Jason Aaron uh, shows you how an apology is done. And uh, Kevin Smith is back in comics. Mm. Both of them cautionary tales, maybe. Okay. <laughs> Conventions taking place this weekend, of course. Uh, what we read this past week which was nice house on the lake number seven and one star squadron number four what we're looking forward to coming out this week um todd's art attack possibly yes uh the results of the silver standard voting and uh the next matchup to see who has the second best rogues gallery in all of comics and very long, spoiler-filled discussions of the season finale of Legends of Tomorrow and the new hit film, The Batman. Right. Might be series finale of uh, Legends of Tomorrow. Hasn't been renewed yet, Joe. Well, we'll get into the cliffhanger that they left things on. Feels like uh, a lot of open-ended stuff, you know? Yep. Uh, so, starting right off. Uh, a couple weeks ago, latest issue of King Conan by Jason Aaron and Muhammad Asar came out, right? Mm-hmm. And we were left with something at the end of issue two, and this led into issue three of a the island that Conan was trapped on and a woman who was there who kind of gave her origin. Spoilers for a book that we didn't talk about on the show but that came out two, three weeks ago. Uh, where maybe her story was a lie and it was all attempting to trap Conan in a boat made of fingernail clippings. Cool. Which was awesome. However, the character in the story's name was Princess Matawaka, which apparently is where the story that we know um of pocahontas comes from right right which might have been like her real name or something like that uh yes so i guess what it comes in it is the private name of the real pocahontas that we are aware of in you know history Mm -hmm. so uh there was some blowback uh from indigenous folks in regards to this And I would like to read to you uh, Jason Aaron's statement in regards to this. Mm -hmm. Uh, He sent it out through his newsletter. He sent it out to all press things and so on and so forth. Uh, He says in the most recent issue, I made the ill-considered decision to give a character the name uh, Matuaka, a name most closely associated with the real-life Native American figure Pocahontas. This new character is a supernatural thousand-year-old princess of a cursed island within a world of pastiche and dark fantasy and was never intended to be based on anyone from history. I should have better understood the name's true meaning and resonance and recognize it wasn't appropriate to use. 
I understand the outrage expressed by those who hold the true Matuaka's legacy dear. And for all of this and the distress it's caused, I apologize. As a part of that apology, I've already taken what I was paid for the issue and donated it to the National Indigenous Women's Resource Center. The character's name and appearance will be adjusted for the rest of the miniseries and all future collections, digital or otherwise, of the story. Mm -hmm. Hey, man, he messed up. And that's how you handle it. You don't blame anyone. You explain your thoughts coming into it. You do what you best can do. And as far as I can tell, Jason Aaron has not been canceled over this. Right. Um, but man, like mistakes happen. Um, this was a big one. Um, and I think he handled it as best as anyone possibly could. Okay. I really don't have much to add on this. I I mean, I was in the news. I wanted to talk about it. Um, you know, and I think Jason Aaron's one of the good ones and you, you, you get into certain corners of internet, social media and so forth. And you find people. Who were like, I know these, like, and there's the big people, whether it be speaking out or just are general jerks, um, you know, and then you, you hear stories of like, well, Brian K. Vaughn is a this, and Ed Brubaker is a that, and you really can't substantiate any of these stories. You try to dig and find where these things come from, and sometimes it's just maybe a personal slight. And... As someone who holds a grudge like a loved one, I could completely understand that. I'm just hoping my copy, you know, is going to be worth millions now or something. That's the only thing I can hope. No, I don't know. I just, I'm like, because they're going to change the name and the rest of the issues. So this one is still out there, but, you know, uh, but at least in all the digital stuff, it'll be and future reprinting. So we're where we're at, you know? So... Uh, after the success of his Masters of the Universe animated series prequel comic book, Dark Horse is going to get into the Kevin Smith business of comic books again right. with Secret Stash Press of a line of comic books from Kevin Smith adjacent people. Uh... You know, Kevin Smith's thing out of all of this. This year's the 25th anniversary of his comic store being open. Right. Uh, now they're going to start making their own comics. Uh, following what has been laid before by Mike Richardson, the president and founder of Dark Horse Comics. Um, he's a, Kevin is ecstatic to become a part of the Dark Horse multimedia empire and hopes his books will bring new customers to comic shops and delight readers around the world. Right. No books announced. No creative teams announced. I'm assuming it's going to be the usual Kevin Smith uh, folks, your Walt Flanagan's and people like that. Right. Um, Kevin Smith is like Howard Stern to me. Okay. I can't wait to hear this. And by that, I mean, I was a very big fan of Howard Stern for a very long time. For a very uh, formative period of my life, just like I was a big fan of Kevin Smith for a very long time, for a very formative period of my life. 
However, it got to a point where I outgrew both. That being said, I still say I'm a fan of both. Mm -hmm. I haven't listened to Howard Stern in almost 10 years, but I still consider myself a fan. Um, I haven't seen a Kevin Smith movie that was made after Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. No, I (laughs) saw Red State and it wasn't good. Um, So since Red State, and I still say I'm a Kevin Smith fan, you know? Um, You didn't see Walrus? No, I didn't see Tusk. Spoilers, Tusk. everyone. Um, okay. I did listen. You know what? Um, I did listen to the podcast where he came up with the idea for Tusk. Okay. And I did listen to his audiobook where he talked about what a jerk Bruce Willis was when they were making Cop Out. Well, I never that's saw mo- Cop Out. That's the movie I want to see is the movie him talking about Bruce Willis and Cop Out. Yes. Um, I'm glad that Kevin Smith is doing something in comics. I know he's a big comic book guy. It's a big deal for Dark Horse, where Dark Horse seems to maybe possibly be losing some imprints and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, if this gets people in the door for both comics and Dark Horse and his shop and everything else. Um, I don't know. This ain't for me, though. Uh, if it's if this is an NFT, Joe, so a uh, not for Todd, I look at it as, uh, you know, hey, whatever people like it, go do it. I can't imagine there's going to be anything that he's going to do that's really going to interest me. Um, uh, so we'll we'll see. We'll see what happens. But uh, the only thing that I can hope is hopefully they'll give you a uh, what is it? Uh uh, what what show was it that you liked that they did with the si- Jay and Silent Bob? Remember Clerks? Was it Clerks the TV show? Clerks the animated series. Well, maybe they'll do more Clerks comics, and then you'll buy if, you'll buy those. So if they do a Clerks the animated series comic book, mm-hmm. and it's written by Kevin and Dave Mendel and all the people that were involved with the TV show are on it, I'll pick up the first issue. Yep, I was thinking that. Like, like I could see them like starting it right from wherever the end of the issue, the end of the series ended. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But that's that's it. I like I said, I don't. I'm with you. I I haven't seen a Kevin Smith movie in forever. So, uh, and I was never that big of a Kevin Smith guy. But sure, hey, if, if you know, like I said, I keep saying it over and over. You know, if people can make money, go out and do it. Yeah, make all the money in the world. There's a lot out there. Yep, and then send some to me. And send some to us. That's right. Mm-hmm. And your gas prices have gone up. I don't know. <laughs> Boy. I don't leave my house very often. That's right. 24 gallons. That's all you need. That's right. Uh, but if you're out and about uh, in the Midwest or the West Coast, there's some conventions this weekend. Uh, there's SACCon in Sacramento, California this weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, Art Adams and Dan Brereton are going to be at that one. Get me a $1,000 Art Adams commission if you can. Okay. Is that how much he's charging? I believe that's how much he's charging for a, not a quick sketch, but like a decent, like a head sketch. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's Art Adams. This is his price right now. I'm looking to see if the price, if he has prices listed on his, oh, on the uh, no, he's convention thing. And he's one of those guys that like, if he does commissions at the, at the thing, it'll be like, all right, come come on down, 50 or 60 of you, write down what you want, 
and then I'm going to cherry pick what I feel like drawing. Oh, my goodness. So it's like maybe you'll get something, maybe you won't. And then if it's like a three-day con, like 10 hours a day, he'll do two of them maybe. So. He's Art Adams. What are you going to say? Yep. And then uh, in Toledo, uh, Fantasticon is going on. Uh, Mike Grell, uh, Mike O'Barr, William Messner Lobes, Tony Isabella are going to be there. Right. And if you can get me, you know, a Toledo Mud Hens hat, do that too. Go stop by Tony Paco's. Yeah. See if Klinger's there. Get a Mark <laughs> Bick with him. <laughs> yep. And then get Todd a Toledo Mud Hens hat. Yep. Uh, but yeah, uh, if you're interested in those conventions, of course, those will be linked up in the show notes. Uh, along with uh, stuff to the soon-to-be-named network, soon-to-be-named-network.com, soon-to-be-named-network.tumblr.com. All the shows in the soon-to-be-named network and all of our friends that pop up on other shows. Anytime those shows go live, of course, you can certainly check those out. Uh, whether it be this show, uh, Longbox Heroes After Dark, At Odds With Wrestling, Final Wrestling Place, Puzzle Warriors 3, Profane Arguments, Hit My Music, Wings on Wings, Porch Talk, uh, viewer's Choice came back this week reviewing the latest AEW wrestling pay-per-view. And uh, dirty rumor is that we're about a month away from Final Wrestling Place coming back. So all Ooh. of your soon-to-be-named network friends will be back in full force and full strength uh, come this April. I promise. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can also check out some of our other friends that do other stuff on the internet. Uh, our friend Kevin Hellions, who does stuff over at MassLibrary.com. Uh, he just recently did a write-up of Something is Killing the Children, Volume 3, which is one of those James Tinian's books that I just missed and I never got caught up with. Right, yep, and kind of got hot, so. Yeah. Uh, Rick Williams, The Chop Shop, uh, FreeKarateShops.StoreEnvy.com, all those cool resin and glow-in-the-dark sci-fi, fantasy, and wrestling figures that he does. Uh, other friends of the show, Jason Sandberg and Chris Runt, are published comic book writers, artists, everything. Uh, you can check out their stuff linked up. Jason Sandberg's Jupiter, Chris Runt's Battle Monsters, and hey, like I said, the digital stuff is still kind of a mess. There hasn't been an update that I've seen. Um, you know, I get people telling me stuff, but it's mostly pointing me to the app. And I don't <laughs> want to work the app. I want to, I want the browser version back working, you know? <laughs> Right. Um, But if you're like me and Todd and many other listeners, you like your physical comic books, you don't have a comic book store in your area, you don't have a good comic book store in your area, let our comic book store be your comic book store. Check out Comics on the Green uh, primarily through their Facebook is where Dave and the rest of the crew put up new releases, pre-orders, sales, stores, all sorts of stuff through there. Uh, if you get the subscription service where you get your stuff set to you weekly, every two weeks, monthly, however, uh, you might get a fancy sketch from our friend Becky. And you can check out her process and art over on her social media. All that stuff is linked up in the show notes to every single one of these episodes. Yep. Um, let's get into what we read from this past week, Mr. Todd. <clears throat> All right. I will start with the book we were both looking forward to most, which was Nice House on the Lake number seven, written by James Tinian the Fourth, art by Alvaro Martinez Bueno. 
Um, this is after the hiatus, you know, obviously it took a few months off. Luckily did not come back to Substack. actually came back to DC comics. Um, you know, the story, uh, has, you know, jumped forward and things are, you know, because Walter, the character who's part of whatever destroyed the world has like the ability to manipulate minds and do all this stuff. And, uh, it, people have completely forgotten about a lot of the stuff that happened over the previous six issues and they're trying to uh you know save the world they they're they're figuring out whatever plan that they can do but now the group dynamic has changed because now walter who like i said was the person who you know was part of whatever happened is in the group in the house which he originally wasn't he you know he people had realized what had happened and the person who for the first six issues was trapped um away from the people is now in the group and he's taken one of the other people nora the woman uh who who has trans the person was transitioned into a woman and put them off on the side because he still needs them so it's a very like jarring next issue because not only do the people in like you know have not know what's going on at this point as a reader you kind of don't know what's going on because you're thrown back into this and you have to find your footing and it is a little tough because of the fact that like they're everyday people with everyday names they have their like symbols and uh uh uh, nicknames and everything that that uh walter gives them but i i am glad that on the last page of the book they ended up putting a guide which was one of the alternate covers for one of the issues i wanted to buy uh just for that but it was it was interesting. It's a new start to the next six issues or five issues that are going to end the story. So it's kind of a starting again. I, I'm kind of running over things again. But uh, I enjoyed it. But I just feel like I have to get my footing again, if that makes any sense, Joe. Yeah, and again, I, I hate to say it. This is one of those things that I think I was coming into a little bit more uh, optimistic, I guess. You know, we came back from Saga after being off for like three and a half years, and mm-hmm. it took like two issues to get back into it, right? But I yep. think I know that the finish line for Saga is at least 48 more issues after this. Right, because we were at the halfway point when it went on hiatus. Yeah. Um, and then Nice House in the Lake goes on their bit of a hiatus. We got uh, Human Target coming up on their bit of a hiatus. And this feels like what they're going to start working more so into stories like this, your maxi series, is, is, if you will. And I feel as though this would have worked better if I went back and read the previous six issues before this came out. Yeah, that's kind of why they put out the trade right before yeah. this. And that's great for new readers. Get new, more new readers on there. Let's have the sales on number seven break the sales on number one. I'm with you, right? Mm-hmm. I wish I had the time in my day to read these six issues before I got a chance to read this seventh issue. And I'm with you because I'm hoping that when human target does the same thing, it'll be a little easier because we know the characters so well. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, And saga, like we kind of had 50 issues to get where like, even after six issues of uh, nice house on the lake, the original one, I was struggling to figure out who all the characters were. Then you give me a five month hiatus. I'm with you. It's very, it's very weird. I'm just hoping like, you know, like I, like we said, this is a lull. We, We can stick the next five issues. Right. Could they, should they, would they, 
that chart that was in the last page, could they or should they put that? Should they have put that in the first page? Would that I made a lick of difference? Yeah, I think they should have put it in the front. I mean, I don't know how much difference it would have made um, because, you know, like, am I going to be, oh, my God, I know all these characters. But putting it in the back, I didn't know that it was even there um, until I re like flipped through the book to do some notes and stuff like that for this. So I was like, oh, there it is. And then I got to look over these things, whether it helped or not. I I don't know, but I think it would have given you the option because, like I said, I don't think anybody i think there are people who bought this book that don't even know that page is there because it's after uh the batman movie ads if you get my meaning i think if i knew it was there i would have went to it first yeah so they should have it like a recap at least that in the front right so the uh other uh book that we both read from this past week was one star squadron oh you know what i we didn't say um nice house by the lake uh written by james tinney the fourth art by alvaro martinez bueno i'm pretty sure i said that at the beginning okay just uh for some reason i feel as though i might need to recap that i don't know okay (laughs) uh so one star squadron number four written by mark russell art by steve lieber um last issue we were left off with uh, Power Girl attempting her coup of the uh, the heroes for hire sort of thing, but instead the corporate folks decided to give Red Tornado the go-ahead uh, to him be in charge, but he needs to fire half the staff. Right. So uh, while that's going on, he comes back and Red Tornado gives the big rah-rah speech. Not the uh, Glenn Gary Glenn Ross speech that everyone thought he was going to give. Mm-hmm. Uh, that he was going to have to fire everyone when Power Girl sees that she's not the one taking over. She calls the corporate folks. And so this is where we run into a little bit of a thing where, like, was Power Girl fired because Red Tornado technically should have been the one to fire her? He never ended up firing her, but the corporate people ended up firing her. I don't think she's done with this, if that makes any sense. Oh, there's no way she's done with this. Right. So um, Red Tornado gives the big raw, raw speech. He's like, I'm keeping everybody, and I'm going to go back and tell the corporate folks uh, that I'm keeping everyone, and you can't make me get rid of all these people because they're all too good. Uh, The corporate people say, that's great. You don't have to. We got bought out. You're not our problem anymore. And then even more big stuff happens. Right. And again, it's only a six issue miniseries, I think six issue miniseries, according to the cover. Um, But we get like a big cliffhanger here at the end of issue four. So, Mm -hmm. you know, two issues, two issues, and then the big finale and the last two issues after that, I guess. Yep. Unless they give him six more like they did with Wonder Twins back. Remember? Yes. So who knows? Because he might have this as a 12 parter, you know what I mean? Like, uh, and maybe, maybe wonder twins was the original human target slash nice house on the lake where they did the six issues and it was supposed to go on a break and come back. That was the original test run. Joe. Uh, I, I, I think we had speculated that, uh, Mark Russell, when he has these storylines like this, he has the six-issue pitch, the 12-issue pitch, and the ongoing pitch. <laughs> yeah. And he knows at a certain point, like, if it's not going to go 
past six issues, I could wrap it up here. If it's going to go past six issues, I could wrap it up here. And if it's going to be an ongoing, I got it ready to go. He feels like he's that sort of guy. Yep. Like that old, like I remember an interview with Neil Gaiman when it came to Sandman. He said, I needed to get to issue eight, which obviously was the great issue. He goes, and he had laid all the groundwork and he's like, and I could go for years on this, but I also had a plan to get it, to get it all wrapped up by issue 12. He goes, if they gave me the hook, you know, imagine what a 12 issue maxi series, 1980, whatever of Sandman would have been like. Sadder than the overall 75 issues, I'll tell you that. Well, I think I think the comic industry would be worse for it. I I agree. Yeah. Uh, but this is definitely a fun book. Lots of no baggage whatsoever. Uh, lots of no-name folks. And I do like uh, Power Girl listening to the Maxwell Lord book on tape. Mm-hmm. Of how to be a shady businessman, essentially. That's not what it's called. It's called like seize the prize or realize the prize or whatever it is. But it's essentially of like it's tips like uh a good businessman doesn't have many good ideas. They have one good idea that they beat into the ground for their entire life. Yep. They and milk it's it. just like stuff like that. It was so funny. Yep, I agree. Um, and yes, the Maxwell Lord book is Realize the Prize and Take What's Yours. I always said the perfect Maxwell Lord is, you know, 40% businessman, 60% used car salesman. So that's my Maxwell Lord, you know? I think he was the most corny character before I knew what corny characters were, you know? Yeah. So that's what we read last week. Let's get into what we're looking forward to coming out this week. Uh, if you head over to longboxheroes.com, every Tuesday around noon Eastern time, we put up the poll post, which is a link to a link to all the books that are coming out this week. Whether you get your books in print, whether you get them sent to your home, if you're still getting them digitally, more on that later. Thank you. But be forewarned, be forearmed, know what's coming out this week. Todd and I attempt to guess what the other is most looking forward to coming out this week. Uh, Todd has a nice, healthy lead over me with three correct guesses. Um... But let's see if we can narrow the gap a bit. Looking at your list. uh, You get a little bit more of that than I do. What is Hit Me? Hit Me is, I forget the name of the the female writer, but you remember that uh, Mike Diodato, like, uh, futuristic uh, Western book called Redemption? Yes. She wrote that. And this is her next miniseries, which is, and it doesn't explain much, that the main character is someone who gets paid by the bruise. She's female. I don't know if she's an S&M thing or whatever. But something happens and she ends up finding uh, like a duffel bag that everybody wants. And she ends up going on the run in the 90s, like before cell phones are prevalent and everything. I'm not really sure a lot of what the story is about. But because she did Redemption, um, I was like, oh, let me give this a try because I love like some of the uh, AWA comics that I've tried. You know what I mean? Right. I was going to just say uh, AWA book, Krista Faust, art by Priscilla Petrales, and there is a Mike Diodato variant cover, of course. Um, okay. 
That being said, I think the book you're most looking forward to coming out this week is Punisher number one. It is not Punisher number one. It is the Jeff Lemire, uh, Antor, Antoni, uh, Andrea Sorrentino Little Monsters book. My second guess. Yes. Um, is the book you're looking forward to most the P- Punisher number one? It is Punisher number one. Uh, Jason Aaron on the Punisher. Uh, I really enjoyed his Punisher Max series. And I know Punisher is a bit of a, I don't want to say a problematic character, but I just did. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know a lot of people are like, oh, the Punisher's new logo. Ha ha ha, whatever. Um, When it comes to a solo book and Jason Aaron, I got a lot of trust in that man for that, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to be interested, um, you know, and this is one of those things where I don't need to read no solicitation text. I just need to know this book exists and I'll be there. Yes. Um, I'm with you. I, there's part of me with the baggage that comes with it, uh, that I'm kind of like, uh, I agree. I li- really love, uh, you know, his solo books, uh, but we'll see. And I just want to ma- say something cause I think I got the, uh, the uh artist on little monsters wrong yes it's uh i said andrea sorrentino but he did that other book with jeff lemire this is uh dustin when i apologize we, we did uh ascender and descender which was my favorite thing that jeff lemire has ever done i just wanted to get that right instead of wrong you know i think sorrentino might be doing one of the variant covers on it i know uh lemire's doing a variant cover and doug monkey's doing a variant cover so again it's getting the big image like first issue push you know no no, i get you i just wanted to you know what i mean because i can't remember what the name of the book was that they did that was that horror book yeah um gideon falls yes so but like i said i just wanted to get it right Mm -hmm. so while you're over at longboxheroes.com uh you can certainly check out what todd and i are up to with uh the have issues portion of the website which is the silver standard where we are pitting uh, the rogues, the bottom of the rogues gallery of Batman against the bottom of the rogues gallery of Spider-Man to see who truly is going to be the second best rogues gallery in all of comics, of course, since the Flash is the best uh, rogues gallery in all of comics. Now, I, I know I looked this morning and the poll was close. I didn't look since then. Mm-hmm. I'm about to click to see who wins. And mine were one. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. One of my people actually made it. I mean, woohoo, I knew it was going to happen. Yep. What's this? Two of them now? Uh, I think maybe three. No, it's only Hypno Hustler and this guy. Okay. And I'll say this at the comic shop, I was stumping for the spinner. And, and so I, I, do, I, I do my tweet when it comes out, and then I do the Monday tweet. Just as a reminder, right? Mm -hmm. And then when I looked at it this morning, I saw it was tied. I'm like, it cannot end in a tie. Yep. Because I haven't figured out how that's going to work just yet. Yep. So when you did that, I was like, hmm, I'm at the comic shop. And I was like, uh, I'm like, oh, hey, Josh, you work here. Do you know about Longbox Heroes? (laughs) He's like, yeah, I listen every once in a while. Mm. And I'm like, okay go vote for what you know you think is lamer and the lamer thing is the spinner i'll kill you (laughs) but uh, he was like yeah it's usually 
the Batman villains I find lamer. And we discussed a little bit as to why and I said, yeah, just get it over. So it's not tied, you know? And then like, uh, then somebody else that worked there was saying that she was going to vote the other way just to tie it back up again. Mm-hmm. And I was like, ah, we'll see. But I was like, ah, in my heart of hearts, do what you want. I was trying to get the tie out of the way. And then I kept watching it. It kept going back and forth. And I was like, just don't tie. That's all I care about. So now it's time for the next matchup. Yes. Okay. Um, so my uh, Spider-Man one is uh, someone who was in two issues of Amazing Spider-Man back in the early 70s. Mm-hmm. He was a rival of the Rocket Racer. Ooh. He uh, travels and does his whatevers in essentially what would be like a big giant Ferris wheel that has robot arms on the outside that he rides around inside of. And of course, since his shoot name is Jackson Wheel, spelled W-E-E-L-E, this villain's name, of course, is Big Wheel. Sounds cool to me. Big Wheel, Joe. We all wanted one when we were a kid. Um, my guy only ever appeared once, and his name is the Monarch of Menace. Yes, that's right. He kind of looks like a king with a mask, and he's got an electro- electric scepter for stunning and he has a crown that can hypnotize you. And he has shoes that could leave adhesive that you can get stuck on. And my favorite is he has a cape that seeps gas. That's right. He has a fart cape, Joe. So that's fantastic. <laughs> um, it's so dumb. He's running around. He's at one point, the original monarch of menace gives it up and his idiot son takes him over, takes over the, the, the lineage in the same issue and brings them both down. He has a bunch of thugs who run around in like old timey, uh, uh, like, uh, like that haircut that you've seen in every bad medieval movie, um, with, with like the, the bangs and everything. Oh, it's just so bad. Um, yes. I I can't. He doesn't even have a shoot name. Like when I went and did, like his name doesn't isn't even like like Manny Mark, like Monarch or anything like that. Like at least Big Wheel gets a wheel in his name. His name in the Who's Who like thing of his is officially unrevealed. His shoot name, Joe. So. Yes, the Monarch of Menace. And uh, you have to see the uh, the gas cape in action. It's absolutely fantastic. Well, I will only say this. Uh, your guy infinitely has to be cooler because, one, uh, he was very much the inspiration for the Monarch uh, in the big DC Armageddon crossover. Mm-hmm. And also the Monarch, the villain from Venture Brothers. So that those two inspirations alone make him uh, cool cooler and thus less deserving of your votes than my guy yeah i don't know i think your your guy and you know made the big wheel that every kid rode as as a thing so i don't know i'm leaning towards yours joe is much cooler i think if you can't get above being a rival of the rocket racer 
And like Spider-Man just essentially has to be like, all right, boys, stop. You're embarrassing yourselves, you know? Yep. I don't know. I'm going to say here, fart Kate for the win. All right. Agree to disagree. We'll <laughs> see. So the vote will go up tomorrow um, in regards to this. And, uh, you know, you'll have a week to uh, make your voices heard. And hopefully we can get another uh, Spider-Man person moving along in the tournament. Yep. Hope, I got my fingers crossed. Batman villain moves on, hopefully. <laughs> It'll be even funnier when they're all just beating up on each other, you know? Yep. Oh, no, I have to explain why this Batman villain is suckier than that Batman villain. Uh, now, uh, did we have a Todd's art attack this week? We did have a Todd's art attack this week. Um, and it was from a, the a bassist, Joe. Um, he sent in, give me one second. I lost it first. Uh, he sent in, um, thought Joe Sposto would appreciate this. The custom paint job my friend did on his tuning pedal. Um, and also maybe for, uh, Todd's art attack. And it was a picture of, of the bib for tuner on his, uh, 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 his tuning pedal. I thought that was actually kind of cool and right up your alley. So, uh. You, are you digging the bib for tuner, Joe? I do like that he does get uh, higher billing on the tuning pedal than Bosk. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think was just like Bose or whatever, and they kind of altered it that. But no, that's some creativity. That's some ingenuity. That's uh, some, you know, musicians trying to kill time, I guess. Well, yes. Well, that's that's why they're always late, and they're on musician time, Joe. Mm-hmm. And... Hey, for Art Attack, related but unrelated, and I'm going to throw a link to this in the show notes, uh, Mm -hmm. just in case you're so inclined. Um, We've mentioned this person before, both uh, in his work on Six Sidekicks of Trigger Keaton and Todd picking up some stuff from him uh, in the past, and that would be Chris Schweizweiser has an art book that he's putting out. Uh, Collections of drawings, sketches, paper figures, designs, process, toy concepts, poster roughs and more uh 20 bucks for a physical copy five bucks for a pdf if you're one of those type folks um and if you're an art person um you know you whatever um Mm -hmm. then this might be the thing for you i'll keep a link uh in it uh just in case you're so inclined i think there's also like a signed book plate option that you could get as well for an extra five bucks i did see something i don't know how much but i did see an option for a signed book plate yes so uh, i was gonna say he does have some things here for uh pretty much ordering anywhere but i think if you are outside of the united states you cannot get the signed book plates but he does give you um, many, many different options for international folks to purchase this. And, uh, yeah, this is uh, an awesome piece if you're looking for something art uh, stylings, you know? Yep. And a great guy. Met him. Nicest guy you can be, you know? For sure. And I do like that in, like, uh, in the designs and everything that he shows there, he does have a Bib Fortuna in there as well. I'm hoping the uh, Unforgiven piece I bought off him will be in there. <laughs> right. So like I said, we'll link that up in the show notes of just, uh, you know, a thing of interest. If you're looking to expand your art collection or get some sort of art or what have you, uh, you have that option available to you. 
while you're over at longboxheroes.com, of course, be sure to check out our store where you can get shirts and pins and stickers with our fancy logo on them. I got them sitting here in the office ready to go to you. Uh, you could also head over to our T Public store. Easy access to that is tinyurl.com slash longboxheroes. 35% off any and all designs, and you can get Longbox Heroes, Longbox Heroes After Dark, At Odds with Wrestling, Final Wrestling Plates, Hit My Music-inspired designs on anything from cell phone covers to notebooks and everything in between. Uh, you could also sign up for our Patreon, as little as a dollar a month. You get two bonus shows a month from Todd and I, one previewing the past, where we look at 30 years ago this month's previews catalog. We're hot off the heels of the 1992 March edition, which was the first, one of the first 17 first appearances of Spawn. <laughs> yep. Um, and then, of course, we're doing the films of Mark Pirro, the independent uh I, again, I don't even know what sort of movies he makes. Low-budget, <laughs> cheapy, VHS cheapies. And the next one we got coming up is My Mom is a Werewolf. Uh, coming up here just next week. And if you're at the $5 level, you get those shows two weeks before everyone else. And you get After Dark two days before everyone else. Yep. And lastly, but not leastly, another way that you can help us out is making any and all of your purchases through our Amazon click-through. Um, does not cost you anything extra. They, Amazon, call it an advertising fee. I call it a thing that makes Todd happy at the end of the month when he gets his cut of the money. Yeah. Some of the notable purchases through the Amazon click-through this past week include uh, somebody purchased the Rasputin file by Edvard Redzinski. Never heard of it. Somebody also purchased the next of the Lestat vampire kindle things called blood communion mm -hmm. uh somebody purchased another copy of the first trade paperback of nice house on the lake and i'm guessing this was the same person as they purchased their digital comicsologies whatever's of nice house on the lake number seven amazing spider-man number 91 and star wars 21 through our click through so this is the six of one half a dozen of the other with uh, Amazon Comixology being a bit of a mess right now and them not having subscriptions or anything else like that. So uh, if you are a digital comic book person and you're still getting your stuff this way um, and subscriptions aren't available to you, you know, you can mm -hmm. make your purchases through our Amazon click through and apparently it'll be on the app just as it was before. If that's how you're reading your books. Yep. Uh, so, you know talk about everybody's books that they're purchasing if you're doing them that way you know sounds good uh so let's get into uh the tv and the movies that we have from this past week sounds like a plan where would you like to start um i think i'll start with the uh legends of tomorrow's uh, season finale hopefully yes. not series finale uh, so basically, you know, the legends have retired to keep the flow, uh, keep, you know, things good with, uh, AI Gideon and regular Gideon. Um, so they're all meeting at their, the house that John gave them and, you know, Gideon and AI Gideon aren't showing up because, or not, not showing up. They're doing their adventures and real life Gideon's becoming more like computer-like cause she's not dealing with people and everything. 
And Gary, who was shunted off into the time stream by AI Gideon, uh, landed in uh, Neanderthal time. So he's trying to build a door so he can use the key to go visit them. Eventually it does work. He gets there and he tells them everything that they need to know about uh, AI Gideon, uh, that she shot him out and that uh, it's a fixed point in time with Dr. Davies and Alan. And they're like, okay, we have to kind of go back and save them. So they end up using the time machine to, 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 to stop Alan uh, Davies, uh, Davies from being killed because it's a fixed point in time. So along the way, they, uh, Gary ends up figuring out that uh, Sarah's pregnant because her, the DNA that was spliced in, she was a, uh, as a clone, that you can do that from just kissing with Ava. So, you know, they end up having a kid and it ends up taking away her regeneration powers that the, the, the unborn baby has it now. So they're, everybody's like, yeah, even though we're going back here, we have somebody who's invulnerable. And she's like, yeah, that's, that's great kind of a deal. So they end up going back. And that sets off a, an alarm for uh, the wave rider to show up with the Gideons. But like, oh, it's an anomaly. We had a truce. Um, but, you know, you're, you're supposed to go home. And uh, basically Ava, not Ava, uh, who's uh, Astra and Spooner go to save uh, regular Gideon because she's become so computerized. And she's sad. So AI Gideon makes a robot that can she could download into and get rid of all these sad memories and she'd be just like AI, but they end up stopping her and evil Gideon downloads herself into that. They end up having a fight, kind of a Terminator thing. Um, they end up uh, turning against her and using, uh, by taking the cloak off, it makes the her become the anomaly and Gideon has to destroy herself. Evil Gideon has to destroy herself. Um, but she blows up the ship, almost killing Gideon, Ava or Astra and Spooner. But Astra pulls the ship together. Like she couldn't do in the first episode, which I thought was cool. And they end up going back and they're going to like set things right with the fixed point in time. They realize they have to talk to the person who's watching over this. So they're like, okay, we're going to set up this plan to talk to him and try to reason with them. And it ends up being um, this guy named Michael Joe, which was an interesting name for this character. Who yeah, is, yeah. Very bored because not much is happening in this place. So he ends up meeting him. He's like, all right, they said please in their message. He's like, all right, I'll talk to you. He goes, oh, you're the legends. I know all of you except for you two. And he's like, oh, this is, uh, he's like, or this guy's Dr. Davies. Like the guy who created time travel was like, okay. He's like, I can't let you do what you're going to do because this is a fixed point in time. And they end up using logic to go, well, nobody's ever come here. And uh, like, because they wouldn't, and note to every time traveler knows this is the thing that makes him want to create time travel. So anybody who can come here would screw it up, wouldn't be able to time travel. And he's like, oh man, the people who put me in charge did it as a joke because nobody would ever come here. You're the only ones. He goes, okay, well, I am going to help you. So they end up, you know, concocting this plan and it says it's ready to go. Michael, I'm doing air quotes, Joe, <laughs> steals the wave rider and takes off. And they're like, well, we could do this and we have our own time machine. And one of the funnier visuals, the wave rider coming in and strafing the, uh, the, the old, the other time machine I thought was funny. 
and they end up, well, they have to do their plan um, without Michael because he's stolen the, the ship. They end up doing it and uh, they end up saving Alan, but uh, Steel Nate ends up losing his powers because he gets hit with a mustard gas shell and it starts eating away at the steel on his skin. So he ends up, when it's all over, after they they save Alan, retiring. He goes off into the totem. Everybody finds out that Sarah's pregnant. They're all happy. Um, the Wave Rider comes back. And uh, Michael's Michael, once again, air quotes, is saying, like, I'm sorry. Like, I, I took it. I saw the opportunity. And then you realize that he's wearing handcuffs. And they're like, well, why are you wearing handcuffs? He says, oh, you like these? You're all going to get them. And all these, like, agents come running in and arrest them for time crimes. And they're like, hey, Buster. He's like, it's not Buster. It's Booster. It was Booster Gold, or as I'm calling him, Turkster Gold, because he's the guy from uh, Scrubs. So it was an interesting episode. And I do love when Booster Gold shows up and he's playing golf. That was fun. So uh, him showing up mm-hmm. to Here Comes the Hot Stepper <laughs> right. with Booster Gold branded golf balls. Mm-hmm. Tremendous. Yep. Um, so just my kind of notes on all of this. Um, you know, obviously you said this could be the series finale. It definitely feels season finale. They mm-hmm. do definitely feel hopeful going into this because there's so many open plot threads, as you mentioned, with Sarah being the one that's being pregnant. Um, you know, she and Nate both losing their powers. Um, obviously the cliffhanger of them all going to jail and them saying that they could just build another time machine if they needed to. And it would take them only about six months to do so, mm-hmm. which would probably be like the turnaround time for the next season to hit, you know, right. Um, right couple of other things to mention uh of course um when Gideon uh Captain Gideon goes on her first mission by herself and comes back mm-hmm. and she's like oh the legends get to dress in fancy things I'm gonna dress in a fancy thing and she comes back and she's kind of dressed like a revolutionary era soldier mm-hmm. was that the best wig in show history it may have been Joe uh, definitely top, I'd say definitely top three wigs in show history. Right. But immediately in the next scene where Neanderthal Gary shows up <laughs> with his wig and realistic looking beard. Right. Very, very, like very much of a juxtaposition of what this show is. That <laughs> right. they can do a wig that looks good, but more times than not choose not to. See, what I like to think happens is they got to the last episode and realized they had money in the coffers. Right. And they were like, and I did like when they were showing up at the house every week to do their thing. They're like, oh, are we early or is is nobody coming? We did say Wednesdays, not Sundays, right? (laughs) They did that joke again. I was like, that one's for Joe again. Yep. Uh, So what else was there? Um, So... When Robot Gideon puts herself into the body that she made and we get like the T-800 looking thing and we get like the face disintegrating and coming back. That was some nice special effects for the show. Right. Uh, Then they allow evil Gideon to blow up the Wave Rider with them on it. But uh, Astra uses her devil magic to save everyone. Mm -hmm. And then the fact that they came back and they said, 
yep, evil Gideon's gone and we'll never see her again. And I'm like, oh, she'll be back. Right. Just like you're not supposed to say it's going to be a short show. You're not supposed to say the villain is gone forever and never coming back. You're supposed to say it aloud to everyone. Well, didn't Gary do that at the beginning of the episode where he's like, this should be an easy mission. And everybody's (laughs) like, oh, you just said it was going to be a short show, Gary. And I thought the effects of the mustard gas effectively eating the metal off of Nate's skin was a really good effect. Not just for this show, but really good effect in general. Mm -hmm. And the fact that he was kind of like all scarred up and everything afterwards. Yep, he looked hideous like uh, the old uh, double R as uh, Deadpool. That's right. Um, But I will say this, at first he looked hideous, but then after he took a nap, he looked much less hideous. Right, he was healing up. He's good. Right. Um, But uh, yeah, again, I I thought it was a good episode. Um, I think I accidentally had it stooged off to me that Booster Gold was going to be in one of the last two episodes. Mm Mm-hmm. I def I had that definitely stooge off to me, and then because I was running late on walk- watching Legends, I had it stooged off that Nate was leaving. Oh, okay. Yeah, because it was like you know I'm looking for show news, and I'm like, oh well, Legends isn't really going to be at the top of that list, and they were like, here's why Nate leaves Legends of Tomorrow, and I'm like, oh okay. Oh, like, that's was a like, bummer. And it, it, it's fine because it really didn't destroy me. But I, but now it made me wonder if they were going to kill him in the mustard gas. You know what I mean? Yeah. No. It, very rarely do people die. They just like either go away, like main characters. I mean, right? Except for Captain Cold. That was a long time ago. It's a much different show today than it was then. You know? <laughs> Are you saying season seven of Legends of Tomorrow is different from season one of Legends of Tomorrow? At least the wigs weren't as great as they were in this episode in season one. Right, but the hats were still tiny. That is true. That is true. But now I'm hearing certain things that maybe like they don't like because obviously we were talking about we don't know if the show's coming but there's a lot of open ends but with the all the time travel that happens on flash there's like talk that like if we have to close it we can close it in an episode of flash so that would get you to watch i'd watch that episode of flash for sure i totally would too so but that's like not joking to say that you have to watch flash that's legitimately like they said is there out if they don't get a, a green lit if you get my meaning so for sure. So we'll see. I got my fingers crossed. I'm hoping the Legends comes back. And, and if and when it does, it'll be a big celebration here. You're right. So next up, we have The Batman. Yes. Uh, directed by, written and directed by Matt Reeves with uh, credits to uh, Peter Craig on writing chores starring Robert Pattinson as the Batman, Zoe Kravitz as the Catwoman, and uh, Paul Dano as the Riddler. Yep. And Colin Farrell as the Penguin? Yeah, so he uh, kind of, like, so I didn't recognize him as the Penguin. Uh, I didn't recognize Andy Serkis as Alfred. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did a really good job at staying away from this. I saw the first trailer that came out, however long ago that was. And then when people were putting the pictures of what the Riddler looked like in the daytime up on social media and laughing at it. Mm-hmm. And I might have poked a little, I made it, I might have made a little jab or a jest or a, a guffaw at it myself. 
Right. But I'm like, this is a movie that is supposed to be seen in the dark. While it's raining. But go ahead. While it's raining, because this movie takes place over the course of a week from October 31st to Dece- to to November 6th. And it is pitch black and raining the entire time in Gotham City. Right. Well, that's because they needed a flood at the end. But anyway, um, yes, I will say with uh, Colin Farrell, him I knew was going to be in the movie, but literally because I, you know, we'll get to the movie in a second. But when it was over, the person I saw it with was he was like looking at the credits and he's like, who was Colin Farrell in the movie? I'm like, the penguin. And he's like, really? And I'm like, yes, like it was the penguin. So but so I'll just say that I'll start this off by saying I really liked this movie a lot. Uh, we're we're not going to rank the Batman movies, but I would say this is like my second favorite after uh, The Dark Knight. Okay, I'm not even going to get into all that because of the of the different seats like uh, series of movies because you have the Tim Burton's as they go off the rails as they go, and then the Nolan and this. They're they're each different to me, and I and I pick my favorite one of only. The series, if you get what I mean. I, I do get what you're meaning. I'm not going to he- do them head-to-head at any point. Like, you would consider the two Joel Schumacher ones part of the Tim Burton ones, or you consider yes. them separate? No, they would be all part of the overall arcing of the Tim Burton ones, even though it wasn't the same Batman actor. They were all... Be- because they had the same Commissioner Gordon and the same Alfred... There you go. They're the same. They're like, we just... Like, Michael Keaton was smart enough to get while well, the getting was good, you know? <laughs> But now he's back, so... Yep. Uh, but this movie exists in its own bubble. Uh, there are no other superheroes even mentioned or referred to. Mm-hmm. You get one sly, maybe a little bit too sly nod to the original 60s TV show, and that's about it. What was um, the sly nod? There's a shot where they... Sh- okay. Uh, spoilers, everyone, right? Well, this is a spoiler episode part of the show. Yeah, so I'd be remiss not to mention it. So when Batman discovers that Bruce Wayne has been a target of the Riddler, Mm -hmm. and there's the whole bit with the letter that has the explosive, and he's trying to race there to stop Alfred from opening it, but he's an hour too late. Mm -hmm. As they show the study, the room that Alfred is in uh, as he's going through the mail right there in the room is the bust of Shakespeare. Yep. The William Shakespeare. Okay. Yes. Cause I remember I actually did point that out to my, to my, to Scott. I was like, okay, that is kind of cool. Yeah. I, I did the uh, Leonardo DiCaprio meme point at it. Yep. Yep. To and, no one. Like my wife didn't know my kid didn't know, but I still did it. Right. Yep. And I will say that whole thing of him, because now we're on the scene of him racing home, reminded me of the Tim Drake identity crisis scene Mm -hmm. where I was like trying to save his dad. Yeah. Where he's like, Bruce, like, please. You know what I mean? But it's Batman doing it, you know? So. Right. Um, My wife did not like the performances of Robert Pattinson. Mm -hmm. Robert Pattinson still. Um. I think occupies the space of being Edward and Twilight to her and many others. Yep, not to me, but I have an opinion on that. Go ahead. I was attempting to come into this movie with giving him a clean slate. Um, I did think he looked a little silly with his emo haircut. 
Thank you. But, but I did like the fact that, you know, every Batman movie, when he wears the cowl, he always has eye black around his eyes. Mm-hmm. But when he takes off his <laughs> cowl to reveal himself to the lady, the eye black disappears. Right. It didn't in this movie, which just, I think, was done intentionally, not because uh, Matt Reeves is like, well, that Joe Sposo says the eye black always disappears <laughs> in all the other Batman movies when he takes his mask off. It was to make Robert Pattinson look more emo, I think. Right. But also the fact that I did love is that his eye black, as you call it, or as I call it, mascara, ran from all the rain. Yes. So that was kind of cool. But while we're on Pat Patson as whatever his name is, uh, Edward from Twilight as Batman, I thought he was great as Batman. Yes. One hundred, I'm in a hundred percent agreement with you. But I, to me, I'm with you. He was too emo as Bruce Wayne. Now it is only, they do establish it is only year two. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But he in no way screams billionaire playboy, which is the other side of the coin to the alter ego of Batman, like the secret identity. I was like, boy, oh boy, this just isn't working for me as Bruce Wayne. And I'm hoping, I feel like this movie could time jump. That's the way they should do these Batman movies. And he'll get in, because like even Alfred's like saying like, you know, like we have a business meeting this morning. He's like, to hack with that. He's like, no, like that's also your legacy with, you know, the Waynes. Yeah. And I was like, okay, like we're not there. Hopefully he'll, cause too many times and we get into this mindset that we want the character fully formed in the yes. first 30 seconds of the movie. And, you know, I'm willing to let it flow. If that makes I, any sense. I'm okay with him not being the full millionaire playboy in this iteration of the movie of year two of the movie. Right. But even when you look at any of the other Batman movies where he's supposed to be the millionaire playboy, like they tell us he's a millionaire playboy, but he's not really a millionaire playboy. Mm -hmm. He's a millionaire. He's at a party in a tuxedo, but He's lit we see him at the party for seconds of screen time mm -hmm. before he's whisked away to do a Batman thing. Right. You know, we never get like a long prolonged thing of Bruce Wayne trying to keep up this illusion that he's not really that person. So when it comes to the movie versions, I'm not expecting him to be the millionaire playboy, but I couldn't see this character convincingly being a millionaire playboy. Yeah, I think if they gave him a cool haircut, you know what I mean? But uh, I, I think you could have done a gimmick where he was a regular at the club. Right. And that was like his way of unwinding. But he was the guy who like because that club's a high high end club and everything else like the, the iceberg club. And then we're not talking about the club within the club, but the iceberg club. He was going there as Bruce Wayne and he was being the brooding whatever. And girls are constantly coming up to them and he's giving them the cold shoulder, pun intended. And that's his way to kind of scope the place out, mm -hmm. but he still can't get into the club within the club. And that's when he uh, uh, enlists Selena to help him because she works there and she can get in there. Right. Right. Um, so, I, go ahead. No, I was going to say, um, because I, I, there's it's going to be all over. We're just going to be talking about stuff as we remember stuff and want right. to talk about stuff. Because I, the over, the overarching of the movie, we talked about, we like the movie. I like the fact that it was a detective movie. I, I like all that. 
It's more of the things that I liked about the movie and the things I didn't like about the movie. And since we mentioned Alfred and and talking to Bruce, I thought there was way too little Alfred in this movie. That I get you. Alfred I, is, I agree. Alfred is the heart and soul of the Batman universe. And like, like he's a jerk. It is year two, but even when Batman was a jerk at year two, he still cared for Alfred. And in this, like we get the moment when the, after the explosion, which I always like, you know how like you have your little nitpicks in a movie, like eye black, whatever. I always like in a movie when someone gets blown up or has a head energy, head injury, and they have that one thing of gauze wrapped around their head. Which makes no sense to me. It's like, what is it keeping in? What is it keeping out? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't know. But he has that moment with Alfred where it's like he reaches out to his hand. I'm like, this is good. But like at no point in my mind should Alfred and Bruce be at that point in their lives. Even in year, only in year two. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. They're just too far apart. He, he even after the Waynes died. He was his father, and he'll always admit that, you know? And mm-hmm. this was like, no, maybe you're not. And while we're on that, you know, you don't dirty up the Waynes. I'm, I, you want to dirty up Thomas a little bit? Because I think the whole bit with him helping Falcone was from, like, Long Halloween? And then maybe somebody was saying that it was also, like, Earth One, the, the Jeff Johns, Gary Frank one, that they had some dirt, you know what I mean? But either way. But- but they lean a little bit too heavy, and I, I, I feel as though the movie doesn't come like the movie tells us the story is out there that Martha is an Arkham, which I don't think is you know comic book, right? And the fact that she was also in the Looney Bin as well, mm-hmm. and I think that might be urban legend, fake news, whatever you want to for someone to float that out there to try to discredit the Waynes back when Thomas decided he was going to run for mayor. Right. But, but I, th- in the context of the movie, you still did it. And I didn't like it. Right. I even think it's in, in the context of the movie. It's true because like Alfred's like, he wanted to protect you and Martha and it's not just protect them from the lies. It was the truth. I don't know. I don't, I, I did not like that because I like the fact that in this grim and gritty world, which gets, you know, I'm with people where it gets grim and grittier each time we see a Batman movie that the Waynes were the, the, the shine, the hope. And when they were killed, that's what sends the last like of any chance of Gotham prevailing down the tubes because they were the, they were what propped it up. And when you dirty them, I'm just like, I don't know, like storytelling wise, if you get my meaning, because I, you could change whatever you want, but it just in the narrative, it, it bothers me. Right. Um, and this, and I have to give credit. I'm not the first person to come up with this and I've seen a lot more places, but at least the first person, uh, that I heard say this is a guy I listened to on a, on a movie podcast. Anderson Cowan essentially said that this Batman movie mm-hmm. is a PG 13 remake of seven. You know what? Everybody I've talked to basically just said Riddler's apartment was the, the apartment from uh, John Doe, man. Yep. And I love all the detective stuff as much as I love Batman fighting. And there's like, it's a three hour movie. And I think there's only like three fight scenes in the movie, maybe. Right. And the rest is all Batman trying to solve crimes and figure stuff out. And that's the stuff I like about Batman more than him fighting stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I did like the bit where Riddler 
kind of almost seems like he's with it. And then he thinks like the part where uh, Batman goes to see him in prison. Bruce. And, and he starts saying Bruce Wayne. And we, and it's done in a way to make us think that he knows that Batman is Bruce Wayne, but it's not. He thinks Batman, whoever Batman is, is on the same side as the Riddler. They've been working together secretly. That and that was a- such a great moment to see the Riddler think that. We, the audience, realize, oh, he's crazy. And then Batman be like, oh, you're crazy. And then Riddler completely lose it and go crazy. Right. Now, on that take, I'm not 100% sure Riddler doesn't know he's Batman. There, there's a window in there that's, that could be left open because I'm with you. He says it a couple of times and like they even show Batman. He's like, oh, I'm worried that he knows. You know what I mean? And then he goes crazy and it kind of kind of like takes you off the scent. But because in the comics, Riddler does know, I don't know. You know what I mean? That's what, right. what, what kind of throws me off. The only thing that I'll say that I dislike about the Riddler is that he seems like because obviously a lot of the you know the Batman rogues get are are crazy, hence Arkham Asylum. It just seemed like uh, I don't know, like very Joker like in his insanity. Like I've seen this with Joker before. I don't know. I kind of like the cold, calculating like Riddler. So it's weird. I'm I'm willing to to let it, to let it go. But then I'm gonna get there when we end up seeing the Joker in the cell next to him. I'm like, okay, what way are we going to go with the Joker? And Matt Reeves is kind of like saying, oh, like, we don't know if we're ever going to get the Joker in the next movie. It might be down the line. It's an option. I'm like, Warner Brothers is going to tell you to do Joker in the next movie. There's no way that you dropped him in for 30 seconds yep. and he's not in the next movie. Right. You can't drop a character like that in as a tease and then say, eh, maybe we'll get to him eventually. Some mm-hmm. stuffed shirt is going to be like, no, no, no. The next movie is called The Joker and Some Batman. Right, and even it happened with the Nolan movie. Like, at the end of the first one, you know, the, the the Joker card was there, the playing card. And they're like, and, like, Nolan was like, oh, well, that doesn't mean the Joker's going to be in the next movie. It always means the Joker is going to be in the next movie. But what I would like to see is, since you've swiped seven, just swipe Silence of the Lambs. And he, Batman just keeps going to see the the Joker is not on the loose. He just keeps going to see him because he has to. And that's your that's how Joker's involved in the movie any way, shape, or form. But uh I'm okay with that. Yep, yep. I thought that would be really cool. Um, one thing that I do want to say that I love that this movie got right. I have notes, so I'm scratching stuff off as we go. Is in the beginning of the movie, and Joe, this is where I'm literally showing you my arm, even though you can't see it because I'm getting the goosebumps. Uh-huh is when Batman, like everybody's doing their crimes at the beginning of the movie and the bat signal is shining. And each time somebody look up and see the bat signal and kind of get spooked and then look into the shadows, worried that Batman was going to walk out of it. And they did that so many times. And then when he does walk out of it, I pop so hard. It That gave them the feel and the mood of the movie so fast. And I'm like, that's the one thing that I always felt was missing about Batman was like, Ooh, that suspense of, is he going to kick my butt and him with those shadows? And it's just the blackness, Matt Reeves at his best directing in that moment. 
I'm with you. I liked it. Um, And, you know, it made it kind of put it on you, the audience as well. Um, Is this going to be the one where Batman comes out? Like, obviously, we are not afraid of the Batman, but we're waiting for the Batman. It builds tension. Let's put it that way. Yes. Um, Let me see. I want to do. Let's see. What else do I have? You go through all your notes. I'll comment on because I'm pretty much done outside of two things. Uh, and it's the two things that I dislike the most about the movie. And they're super, well, maybe super nitpicky things for me, but we'll get into it. Okay, I only have like two or three more, and they're quick. Um, basically, uh, Penguin was fantastic, was p- my favorite character in the movie, maybe, of fun, if you get what I mean. Um, so that was great. Anything on the Penguin, or I'll move on? No, again, uh, the car chase scene was awesome. Right, that right there this was my favorite bat like favorite batmobile in a long long time joe that when when he's sitting there and the motor starts up and you get that rumble and boys and girls all you you know environmentalists try that with an electric car it ain't happening with that sound <laughs> it ain't happening that that you know that 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 440 you know all the stuff and the jet engine i was i was losing my mind and him driving and making that sound one of the best like batman car chases ever love 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 that batmobile um the the bit where like almost at the tail end of the car chase when the tanker truck explodes and we all know batman's just gonna jump through it you know Mm -hmm. and then batman jumps through it the theater i was in popped like the entire place exploded Yep, it was fantastic. I I love that car. Um, one I, I don't because we don't talk about moments in, in the movie, like you know, because we're not hitting the beats. But one of my favorite bits was the uh, the uh, bit where they take Batman back to the to the to the precinct and they have him in the cell with all the cops, and he ends up like you know like they they shove him and he ends up pushing one of the cops and he's like this and that and he's like. We got you on, we got you on assaulting an officer and Batman who doesn't do jokes. And I did not mind in this. He goes, you got me on three counts. Cause I just popped three of your cops. And I'm like, that's pretty good. And then him talking with Gordon where he's like, he's like, all right, you're going to hit me and you're going to take this key and you're going to go on. They like work out the plan and he punches them, goes out the door. Now, when I'm watching this movie and he's going up, through the staircase and all this stuff. And he does the, the bat suit like flying away. I thought I heard the Elfman, Tim Burton theme play because at that moment, this movie was so Tim Burton. It was ridiculous in a good way. You know what I mean? Right. So I really like that. And then when he sees commissioner Gordon again, and I stand by this, the only two people that bat Batman can be lighthearted with are Alfred and commissioner Gordon. And when he says, when commissioner Gordon goes, you could have pulled your punch and Batman's like, I did. And I'm like, it's not so much a joke as it is real. I loved that whole scene as, as fantastic. Yep. Um, uh, I'm with you. Um, and I'll just add one more person in there. Batman is also allowed to joke when the entire justice league international is around. Yes. And he also works better as a straight man, but yes. Right. Um, and my last, my last little nitpick and it's only because this is more of a uh, year one Batman story 
is I wish because they make everything grittier and harder edge that there is a part that I like of Catwoman where it's not her real character is the sexy, flirty um, sex pot at times, but only to catch you off guard, if that makes any sense. Yes. Um, Where this is all, I almost want to say like the prostitute, thief from year one where it's like oh man there's none of that and once again that's something you can grow into with Catwoman as it goes but there was almost even with Batman there wasn't enough of like playfulness like we're getting there I don't know there's just something I like about that Catwoman where I don't need her to be a sex pot just a sex pot to confound men and I love that with her and that was that was the only that's my last note I don't know if you have anything on Catwoman uh okay so me nitpicking, um, there wasn't a ton of digital effects in this, mm-hmm. but the ones that were were not great. There's the bit where um, Batman follows Catwoman back to the apartment to get information about the girl from the pictures, right? Because Catwoman sees that girl, tries to kayfabe. Batman knows that Catwoman knows who this girl is, so of course he's gonna tailor. Goes back to the apartment. Catwoman's like, I'm going to go back. And she's going out for the night. She puts her whole Catwoman thing on. When she goes down the fire escape and does like a little tumble off the thing. Mm-hmm. Some of the dodgiest, shoddiest CGI <laughs> I've ever seen in a movie in my entire life. They took that like mo- trash. And I was like, oh, please don't do this the whole movie. And there was one little bit of her fight with Falcone where they did like a little CG enhance mm-hmm. that... Uh, it told my brain was it was fake, you know? No, I get you. Even when I was looking at that tumble, you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of a Sin City effect from, like, the Robert Rodriguez movie. Yeah, yeah. Because it was, like, green screened out the wazoo, and I was like, I'm with you. I was like, ugh, okay. And once again, the fact that, and I did this joke on Twitter, and I'll do it every time I do it, the fact that, Catwoman's one true love, Slam Bradley, wasn't in this movie, upset me. Well, again, they're afraid if they put <laughs> Slam Slam Bradley in the movies, mm-hmm. then they're just going to have to make the Slam Bradley extended cinematic universe. <laughs> That's right. Give me the Slam Bradley cut. Um, the other thing is, so you mentioned before about Batman, Gordon, they're in... Uh, the the interrogation room. They formulate the plan the plan for Batman to escape, and he goes up to the top of the building where the uh, uh, police headquarters is, and he gets to the top, and he turns into a flying squirrel, and as he escapes, he rests at the top of the screen. We're like. It almost becomes like a video game sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And like you see much of the city and it's almost as though whenever they cut to him, like I think this part specifically was supposed to be seen in IMAX. This was like the one IMAX shot that they did. So I'll give them a little bit of leeway there. But seeing it on a regular non-IMAX screen, this scene looked real goofy and stupid. And Batman looked like a flying squirrel, not a cool bat. Right. I didn't mind it. I actually really liked that all of it to even the point where he he kind of busts himself up because he's year two Batman. I liked mistakes. him busting himself up. I liked the, the rough landing and I liked everything getting messed up. 
Um, but the way that the little costume looked and he like even puffed out a little bit when he did it and he looked like he was like a cute little squirrel. No. <laughs> cute little squirrel. But uh I don't know. I, I like I all around I enjoyed the movie. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm trying to think if there was the only thing that I will say, and it comes down to it, and the fact that there was a four-hour cut blows my mind. Ugh. The three-hour cut was too long. Cause literally to the point when they catch the the Riddler in the diner, I'm like, okay, because I walked in, I was like, this movie starts. I looked at the clock. I'm like, I know this movie's just a hair under three hours. And I was sitting, I was sitting with Scott. And we get to the part where they hit hit the jo- uh, hit the Joker, get get the Riddler, and they take him off to jail. And I look at I look at Scott, and I go, "There's an hour left in this movie. They caught the bad guy, and there's an hour left in this movie." So, so I'll I'll say this: if you got a four hour cut of this, make it two movies. That's what we were saying. Like, why not make it two movies? I'm not a fan of that. I I do hate that idea. No, I hate it. But if you shoot that much, mm-hmm. then I don't know, but, like, people aren't going to go see one Batman movie with a cliffhanger and be like, you know yeah. what, I'm not going to go see the second one. I don't know, it's like, you, spe- like, I don't know what the budget on this movie is, but if you essentially shoot the same amount of footage mm-hmm. and get two box office openings out of it, like, I don't know, last time I checked, two is better than one. I- I- I'm with you, I'm with you, but that... Because I, I, it falls into the thing that I dislike about Snyder when it comes to his movies is that I do believe he needs an editor. And this is the Snyder bashing segment of the show is, and my one friend put it best when he's like, I don't think Snyder leaves anything on, on the cutting room floor. The studio makes them. I believe if Snyder's like, if I shot it, it has to be in the movie. Um, and I, I at least give Matt Reeves credit for like, all right, I got it down to three and that's my, that's my movie and that's it. But I was like, ah, I think you could have, I think you could have trimmed this down to like two fifteen, and we would have been good. So here's, uh, here's what I'll say. Um, I am not a editor. Um, I watched this movie. I enjoyed it. It didn't, it was three hours long, but it didn't feel like three hours long. There's movies mm-hmm. I watched that are 90 minutes that feel like they're seven hours long. Yep. Um, you, you ask me right now and say, what would you edit out of this movie? I couldn't tell you, but if it was my job and you're paying me to do my job, I'm going to find something to edit out of this movie. I would probably edit the deeper stuff about muddying up Thomas and Martha's names. Yep. Uh, that wasn't necessary. I get why it was in there for this iteration of the film. It worked in this bubble, but if my job is say cut out what you feel doesn't work, I can get this about two twenty five. No, I get you. And the last thing that I have to say about this is, um, how many small small children did you have in your theater? What is, time did you go? What time did you go? Do you consider my son a small child? Give me your child's age again. Ten. Okay, no, there were younger kids than 10. I would say, so we went to the six o'clock showing on a Saturday. Mm -hmm. And I would say my kid was probably the youngest kid there. Okay, we went to the 740 or the 750 on a Saturday night. And there had to be four and five-year-olds in there. 
And I'm thinking to myself, all right, what made you think? Like, I, and, and I talked because me, we were talking, a couple of us were talking outside the theater, and there was a lady with a guy who didn't have any kids. And I'm like, all right, even if you think this movie is okay for a four or a five year old at PG 13, what makes you think you should take this kid to the movie at 750 where you're getting out after 11 o'clock with the kid? Like, like, I don't care. You can do whatever you want. This isn't like, you know, but I was, I was like, and the whole time, like the kids are wanting to talk about this Batman movie while the movie's on. And I'm like, are they getting any, there's a severed thumb in this movie. There's bits of stuff stolen from the movie saw in this. I'm like, is this really the four and five year old Batman movie? Okay. Whatever. I'm enjoying it. So there's, there's a toy line for it. There's Mm tie-ins to video games. Uh, it's only PG-13, even though there's tons of swears, even the big one, the big dukeroo, if you will, <laughs> is within the first five minutes of the movie. Happy Halloween, everyone. <laughs> but yeah, but they got it right out of the way, so. Right, but then they just kept hitting the other ones, you know, and I'm like, I guess PG-13, you could just say that one all the time now, I guess. Well, yeah, you only get one of the granddaddy, so. But that so that that line has never moved. You got one of the granddaddy back in like 1988. It's 2022. Mm. You would think on PG 13 we would have expanded to two by now. No, I, I say think... zero in a PG 13 movie. But you know, what do I know? Yep. What do you know? I'm bringing I... a ten year. I'm bringing a ten year old to bring it to see a PG 13 movie. Right. You think there was an R cut? <sighs> do you think they're going to release the R cut? I think you're going to get an unrated cut. We're not going to say R. We're going to say unrated cut because I think if you say it's an R cut, then you got to pay the VIG to the MPAA mm-hmm. to have them re-rate it. But and if you release it as unrated, you could just put whatever you want in there. And I honestly think WB doesn't want an R-rated Batman movie. If if unrated is different, we're not saying it's R, but it's unrated. You know what I mean? Like... Like you said, because there is a toy line after the fiasco with Batman damned that, you know, they go everything with a fine tooth comb, man. Right. So. But like I said, I think we both really enjoyed the movie. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, the next big one we'll both be seeing together is going to be uh, Morbius, right? Oh, yeah. That was great because I was sitting with Scott and the, the thing came up and, and it, like we had a trailer. And it wasn't a trailer. It was more of an ad for the movie experience because they're trying to get people back in the movie. And they're like, and now, you know, um, with the legendary Spider-Man character and Scott leads into me and he goes, legendary, huh? Morbius? Well, using that word pretty loose. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yep, I'm not saying anything. Um, I think it'll actually be Doctor Strange, right? Yes. Yes, okay. <laughs> I was making a joke. No, I know you were, so. But I'm thinking, I'm trying to think, what is the next movie that we uh, will both see? I was like, uh, I think it is Doctor Strange, because, you know, um, movie-wise, like, Morbius allegedly is coming out on April 1st. <laughs> April Fool's. And then uh, Doctor Strange. Oh, you see, Morbius is tough because that's 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 WrestleMania weekend. So, yeah. oh, that's the only reason I won't be watching it. Right. Uh, then Doctor Strange is May sixth, 
and then Thor is uh, July 8th. Mm-hmm. And then after that, it just hits with everything else until like November, December. Right. Like one a month after that. Yep. Sometimes two a month with delays. We'll see. Hopefully. All right. So uh, definitely go see the Batman. I enjoyed it. Um, you know, I, most of the discourse that I've seen online was people enjoying it. Um, you know, I don't know. You're going to see a Batman movie. I don't know. And like, oh, it's too dark. He solved crimes. I'm like, it's Batman. What did you expect him to do? You know? Right. He's moody in the rain. That's my Batman. That's right. Uh, so everyone, thank you very much for listening to episode 597, Long Box Heroes. For Todd, this is Joe saying, see you all here next week. Remember, be a faucet, not a drain. You're listening to the soon-to-be-named network, the Lamborghini of Podcast Network.